Well, good morning to Williger Community Church. It's good to be with you all this morning. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you as we have been journeying through Colossians. And um, it's hard to believe we're coming to the end of it. And, uh, but that is coming. Uh, how many of you have been playing Wordle? Any Wordles? A few of you? A few hands? How many of you are like, what is Wordle? Anyone? We all know what Wordle is. Okay, so Wordle is this new uh, word game that has kind of gone viral and is, seems to be taking over the internet. And what Wordle is, is it's this, this game where you're trying to figure out a five-letter word. That's the goal of the game. And so you kind of take a shot in the dark, you guess a five-letter word with kind of using the, the best word that you can. And uh, from that, it, it tells you whether or not within the word you chose, the letters are in the actual word, and, or it will also tell you if the letters that you've chose are in the right place in the actual word. And you have six guesses to guess the wordle. Um, and so I did my wordle this morning, and this is, what, uh, this is what I got. So I got it in three guesses, and that's pretty good, just so you all know. Um, and so the first, my first guess, I had the first two, the first and last letters were correct, but in the wrong place. The second guess, I got well, the middle letter was correct and in the right place. Anyway, all this to say, the, the staff of TCC have been a little distracted the last couple of weeks because we have been playing Wordle a whole lot. And just so you can see what a Wordle looks like when it, you have to go five guesses, um, this was yesterday's Wordle. And so I got it in three guesses, and Pastor Norb got his in five, but uh, he's getting better. You know, we can pray for him to that end. Um, but Wordle is very, very popular right now. And a, 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 a philosopher of video games, if you can believe that is a thing, named T. Nguyen, who's in the States, he was interviewed by CBC Radio asking the question of why is Wordle so popular? And Wordle was not popular until they developed this graphic that you see up on the screen here. Uh, and basically what T gets at is that when Wordle moved from being just a word game to a word game that you share with your friends, it grew in popularity. And his suggestion there is that because we're not only sharing the word and our results, but we're sharing our journey. We're sharing our struggle. We're sharing the progress that we had in getting to a point of guessing the Wordle. And it's this shared community, this share element of this game that's made it so popular. Well, at Twilliger Community Church, our mission statement, of course, is to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, and share Jesus. And this morning, I want to specifically talk about the third part of our mission statement, which is to share Jesus. And more specifically this morning, I want to talk about evangelism. Now, when we talk about sharing Jesus or evangelism in the context of our churches or in ministry, I'm sure many of you are struck with various types of emotions or feelings. Some of you might remember or have had an encounter or experience with some sort of street preacher who's standing on the side of the road saying, repent or you're going to go to hell. Or maybe you think of someone who's going door to door, knocking on the doors, and, and someone answers and they say, Hello, my name is Adam. It's so nice to see you today. If you died tonight, do you know where you would be going? <laughs> right? Do we think of that? Or, or maybe we think of great evangelistic events with amazing speakers and great worship. Um, and we anticipate this great altar call at the end of the event and people coming and receiving salvation. Or maybe you think about conversations that you've attempted to have with friends or family that have not gone well. Maybe you think about these various scenarios in your mind of like, well, I'd love to be more active in sharing Jesus. I'd love to tell others about Jesus. But man, 
do you realize what people would say to me if I tried to do this? Do you realize the cost that it could, it could have on my life where, where maybe friends or family might reject me or even in a workplace where if I talk about Jesus, I could lose my job? These types of things go through our minds. And as we think about sharing Jesus, I think often what I've kind of interacted with in the church is that people find sharing Jesus to be either very intimidating, which is like, man, if I do this, I could suffer consequences, and I'm scared to do this, I'm scared of the relational cost. Or they think about how it's just very complex. That, well, well, what am I supposed to say? How do I effectively communicate this message? If people ask me questions that I don't know the answers to, what am I supposed to do? And because of this intimidation factor, because of this complexity, we just kind of shy away from it. We're like, Pastor, how about you do the evangelism, you know? And even when we think of our mission statement as a church, to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, share Jesus, we love the first two parts, right? Knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, I get it. Well, in our text in Colossians, I think that Paul's doing something interesting. As we look at chapter 3, we really see these first two parts of our mission statement, knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. It's so evident, right? Chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, what is the Christian life? Living your life, looking unto Jesus, setting your mind upon him, setting your heart on him, your desires, your affections are for him. We're like, yes, I want that. I want to know him. Walking with Jesus. We look at the, the continuation of chapter 3 where it talks about getting rid of the sin in our lives, choosing to live life God's way, allowing that to influence the way we operate within our community, and then even further, in, let it influence the way we function within our families, right? And it's all so great. But Paul's point is much like what's going on with Wordle. <laughs> it's something so good. It's a journey. We need to share it with others. And so Paul transitions now in chapter 4. To say, hey guys, your, your, your life with God, it's not just about you, it's not just about your Christian community, but this is something that you need to share with other people. And I was encouraged as I studied these few verses from chapter 4 this past week because I believe that Paul is inviting us to think about evangelism or sharing Jesus in a way that is neither intimidating nor in a way that is complex. But it's very simple. And he invites this small church into three practices. And I want to unpack each of those practices for us this, this morning. And hopefully you will feel inspired as you consider how you might share Jesus with others. Well, our text begins with Paul saying, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So what is the first practice of evangelism we have here in Colossians chapter 4? Is pray. Sharing Jesus begins with seeking the power and help of Jesus. Sharing Jesus begins with us seeking the power and the help of Jesus. You know, I wonder, when I think about evangelism, I I so often get overwhelmed because I think that it's somehow about me. (laughs) It's about me crafting the perfect argument. It's about me overcoming my fears and and interacting with someone in such a way that it leads to them becoming a Christian. But Paul here roots us and grounds us in the fact that it's not about us. It's about God opening doors. So when we think about sharing Jesus, it has to begin with prayer. 
You know, back in November, I went and saw a great movie with a, a good friend of mine. We went and saw Dune. Has anyone seen Dune? It was great. That's totally a side. You should go check Dune out. It's fun. And read the book, too. Um, but we watched Dune, and it was a late-night movie because we have young kids. So the kids are in bed. We go out to a movie. Um, and then I get home, and I pull into my garage, and I realize I didn't bring my house key. And that's just kind of a weird thing in my life. My house key and my car key don't exist on the same keychain, which in cases like this is very bad. But I pull in and I'm like, I pray that Jolene left the back door open. And of course, my wife did not leave the back door open, which is a good thing. She should not have left the back door open. I'm like, ah, shoot. You know, it's like 1230 at night. It's November. It's cold outside. I'm not wearing a big jacket. So first thing I do, I run around the house and the front door is also locked. So I go back to the back, and I'm like staring at the door. I knock on the door. I'm like, is she awake? No, of course she's not awake. Why would I even think that? I look at the doorbell, right? There's a doorbell there. And I'm like, am I willing to wake up the newborn baby and my toddler for the sake of me getting into this house right now? And I was like, I can't ring the doorbell. And then I had this idea. Maybe a window is unlocked. So I go over to the side, and sure enough, one of my windows is unlocked. So I'm prying at the screen. I get the screen off. I slide the window, and I climb in. So any of you do screen repair, you can let me know, because I have a screen that needs to be repaired. But here's the point. It would have been so much easier for me to get into the house if I had what? The key. And I wonder if for some of us, our efforts in sharing Jesus would be so much easier if we had what? The key. Prayer. Paul commands us, he tells us that we need to pray that a door would be open for the word. What is the key? Prayer. We need to pray for opportunity and ability to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here we are invited to commit ourselves to a a posture of prayerfulness in regard to how we share Jesus. That we would posture our hearts in a way before God. That we would say, God, I desire that your kingdom would come. That your will would be done. And that it would be expanded in my life, in my community, and in this world. God, I pray that the gospel would be furthered. And we think of people who we love. People who we work with, our neighbors. And we need to pray that the gospel would be furthered in their lives. Paul tells us we need to pray steadfastly, watchful, and with thanksgiving, which means we are committed to prayer. And do you know what it means to be committed to prayer? It means that when you feel like your prayers aren't working, when you feel like your prayers aren't being answered, you keep praying. You keep praying. That's what it means to be steadfast in prayer. And Paul invites us again to thanksgiving. If you haven't noticed yet, thanksgiving is this recurring theme throughout Colossians that we thank God for what he has done and what he will continue to do in our lives and in the lives of the people who we love who are far from God. So my question for us from this first practice is, who are you praying for to come to know Jesus? Who are you praying for to come to know Jesus? Is it someone you go to school with? Is it a neighbor? Is it a coworker? Is it a family member? Who are you steadfastly and with thanksgiving praying for that they might come to know Jesus? You know, when I think about the practice of sharing Jesus, again, it can feel so intimidating, it can feel so complex, but where does it start? It starts with prayer. That's not complex, that's not intimidating. We come before God and we bring friends and family members before him and we pray, God, open a door for the gospel into so-and-so's life. 
Open a door to the gospel into my coworker's life. Open a door for the gospel into my high school friend's life. Open the door to the gospel in the life of this community. We are to pray earnestly for that. And I want to invite you to begin praying now for someone to come to know Jesus. And and in the fall, we're doing Alpha here at TCC, which is a great space for people to come with their questions and ask questions about the Christian faith. And we present the gospel and we invite them into this community. Who is the person you're going to be praying for now that you might invite them to Alpha come the summer? Because in August, I'm going to get up here, I'm going to say, invite people to Alpha. And you're going to be like, oh man, that's intimidating. It won't be so intimidating if you've been praying uh, since February of this year. So I want you to consider that. Who might you invite to Alpha? And if no one comes to mind, why not? How might you position yourself to be among people who are far from God? Do you realize that Jesus had a reputation for being around people who were far from God? If we want to do what Jesus did, it means we too need to be around people who are far from God. And just as a little bit of an aside to uh, the topic of us sharing Jesus Paul has this beautiful passage where he says, pray for us also that the gospel would be furthered. And I love that he talks about the gospel, right? He talks about the mystery of Christ in our text. And then he says, on account of this, account of the gospel, on account of me preaching the gospel, I'm in prison. (laughs) And this blew my mind because Paul places the prayer for the furtherance of the gospel before a change in his circumstance. You know, if I was in prison and I was writing you guys a letter, I'd probably say, hey guys, could you pray that I could get out of prison? Because prison's not very fun. But Paul believed so wholeheartedly in prayer being the key to evangelism that his prayer request is not for a change in his circumstances. It's for a furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So not only should we pray for people to come to know Jesus, but friends, we need to pray for those who are working to the end of the furtherance of the gospel. We pray for the furtherance of the gospel. It means you pray for us as your pastors. You pray for other ministries and and missions organizations that are working to further the gospel on a day-to-day basis. And friends, I covet your prayers. Our ministry team covet your prayers. We need your prayers. We cannot minister in a way um, that we want to or desire to without the power of prayer behind our every action. So as Paul invites you to pray for him, so I invite you to pray for us here at TCC that doors would be open for the gospel. Well, Paul goes on and he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. And here we have our second practice of sharing Jesus is act. So our first is prayer, second is act. Sharing Jesus requires us to be mindful of our actions. Sharing Jesus requires us to be mindful of our actions. This is the reality that your actions send a message, don't they? The way that you live your life communicates something to other people. I brought something with me today that I had to borrow from someone. Um, This is a Oilers jersey. More than that, it is a Connor McDavid jersey. More than that, it's actually a signed Connor McDavid jersey, so I need to be careful with this. Um, But if you saw me outside wandering around Edmonton wearing this, you could rightfully make certain assumptions about me, right? You could assume that I cheer for the Oilers. You could assume that I am a fan of Connor McDavid. The fact that I spent time and resources to get an autographed uh, Connor McDavid jersey. You could assume that I'm up to date 
on what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers. None of this is true of me, by the way. I'm assuming that the person who owns this jersey it is true of. My father-in-law always assumes that I follow the Oilers, and he asks me questions about trades and such, and I'm like, I don't know. Um, But let's just say I was wearing this jersey, and you could rightfully assume all sorts of things about me based on the fact that I'm wearing this jersey. And theoretically, the way that I would live my life, let's say I'm I'm spending time watching the Oilers, I'm following the Oilers, I'm reading sports blogs, I'm listening to TSN radio, I'm doing all sorts of stuff. You're going to assume certain things about me. Well, in the earlier section of this letter in chapter 3, what has Paul just told us to do? In chapter 3, verse 12, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You could say that Paul is saying, hey guys, put on Christ. Clothe yourselves with Christ. Your actions, the way that you live your life in the world should project a message of who Jesus is. As you live your life, do people see a life set on Christ? What do those who do not know Jesus learn about Jesus when they look at your life? (laughs) Does your activity in the world make life with God look beautiful and attractive? You know, it's interesting when I think about sports because I've just, I've tried. I've tried to like love sports. It's just not in my DNA. I don't think my, and I, I try because my dad loves the Oilers. My brother loves the Oilers. They make being an Oilers fan look full of sorrow at times, but they, they make it look beautiful and attractive. And I watch them in their, in their community, this, the celebration, the joy they have in watching these games, and I wish I could have it too. I just don't. But it does look beautiful and attractive. When I think about my Christian life, does it look beautiful and attractive? You see, perception matters. Commentator F.F. Bruce It was so interesting. He talked about the reality that those who are far from God, they don't come to church, they don't listen to sermons, and they don't read their Bibles. Is that not true? If someone's far from God, they aren't coming to church, they aren't reading their Bibles, and they aren't listening to sermons. So commentator F.F. Bruce says that what they do see and look at is the life of those who profess to do all of those things. So a, a person who's far from God doesn't come to church, read their Bible, or listen to sermons. But what they do see is people who say that they go to church, read the Bible, and listen to sermons. F.F. Bruce concludes then that the sermon that they listen to is the sermon of your life. The message of God that they hear is the way that you live your life. Their interaction with the Bible is the way that you live your life. What do they see? What do they learn about the Bible as they watch you? You know, previously, sharing faith was all about communicating objective truth, right? It was like, man, if I, can just commu- if I can just communicate the truth of the gospel to someone in a way that is effective, they will come to believe and understand the truth, and they'll come to know God. That was how we did evangelism. And that used to work. And that used to be our starting point. I want to suggest to us that what Paul's getting at here is that that shouldn't necessarily be our starting point. Sharing our faith um, has become challenging on the basis of objective truth because we live in a world that has rejected objective truth, right? We talked about living in modernity and then post-modernity, and now they're saying we're in a post-truth era. Sorry, that's a little bit heady. But it's this whole idea that as Christians, we used to appeal to the question of what is true. 
And on the basis of that question, we could have articulate and intelligent arguments with people and challenge the concept of truth to a point that we could convince them that the gospel is true and they would repent and receive the gospel. But now we can't argue on a basis of truth because our culture has totally rejected truth. Instead, we need to start, and this isn't to say we still need truth. We still need to teach truth. We still need to invite people to consider truth. But I don't think that's our starting point. Our starting point now in a post-truth culture is that people need to see how the Christian life works. They need to see how the Christian life works. And as they watch the Christian life, if they see it play out, they need to see the beauty in it. And if they see the beauty in the Christian life, they might wonder, is it true? (laughs) Is it true? Because in a world where we say, well, what's true for me is true for me, what's true for you is true for you, which doesn't make any logical sense, but that's how our culture is operating. If someone looks at my life and they say, man, the way Adam lives his life is beautiful. What's true for him? Could it be true for me too? The beauty he experiences in his life based on his faith, it's true for him. Could it be true for me? And that becomes our starting point. Paul tells us that we need to act wisely. I believe this is why he's instructing us to walk in wisdom. Commentator Doug Moo says that wisdom will enable us to determine just how in given situations our new way of thinking, our new set of biblical values should be put into effect. And this is that whole idea that as we live our lives by God's word, as we clothe ourselves in Christ, as we put to death the things that are earthly in us that Paul has just taught us about, as we do those things, we walk in wisdom. And as we walk in wisdom, as we apply the word of God to our lives, people look at it. What do they see? Do they see a beautiful life? Friends, this is why our actions are part of sharing Jesus. We see our living the way that God has called us to live as more than simple obedience, but as an opportunity for us to demonstrate the goodness and beauty of God. We live out and demonstrate the grace, love, and compassion of Jesus, and we show people with our lives the good news of God. So this means that our actions are where our message starts. I'm just going to take this off. Because it's really hot. I didn't plan for this in my preparation. Wardrobe change. Okay, we're back. (laughs) All right. First practice is prayer. You guys at home, I can't hear you. First practice is prayer. Right. Second practice, acts. Third practice, Paul goes on. Let your speech always be. Gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our third practice is speak. Sharing Jesus requires us to share our witness of Jesus with others. Now, here's the thing. Verse 6 of this text that I just read implies that not only we live the Christian life in all contexts, but also that we talk with others about our life with Jesus. For many of us, for me, This is the most intimidating part of sharing Jesus, isn't it? But it is such an important part. And beyond that, it is something we are commanded to do. Do we get that? We can't escape this element. Passages like Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, we talk about it all the time. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. 
teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. John chapter 20, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you. How was Jesus sent? To proclaim the good news of God, to use his mouth to communicate the message of the kingdom of the heavens, as we read in, in, um, in Matthew. And then in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. If you are not familiar with those passages, I encourage you to read them. Matthew 28, John 20, Acts chapter 1. They're great. They're the commissioning passages. Uh, The Great Commission is not a title that Jesus gave to Matthew 28. We've given it that title. There's multiple places Jesus sends his disciples to speak and proclaim the good news. We cannot escape the reality that we have to open our mouths and speak and tell others of the good news. So passages like this call us to open our mouth and share with others what Christ has done and is doing in our lives. Did we get that? Not just what Christ has done, this idea of forgiveness of sins and an assurance of eternity when I die, but what Christ is doing in our lives presently. That is the concept of witness. And we did a whole equip session on this, and I encourage you to go listen to that if you're interested uh, in more ideas around that concept of witness. Um, But I think the reason that we get so intimidated about this is that When I was taught to do evangelism, it was like, okay, set aside an intentional time with a friend and you sit them down. And so I would do that and I'd sit them down. I'd say, hey, I got to tell you something. Um, I'm a Christian, just so you know. And I think you should be a Christian too, right? (laughs) You guys remember those types of conversations? And I remember having so many awkward conversations with friends in junior high and high school uh, because that's how I went about evangelism. It was like, okay, I got to get this message across. But I skipped prayer And I didn't really think about what maybe my life was proclaiming to my friends. And so we'd have these weird one-off conversations, but they're like, thanks for sharing, Adam. That's great. You do you, right? Or whatever it was. But what I love about this passage is that Paul, uh, specifically translated in the NIV and the NLT, uh, uses the word conversation. Let your conversation be always full of grace. When we think about speaking and proclaiming the message of God or sharing our witness, I think we need to think about conversation more than we think about knocking on a door and asking the question of if you died tonight, um, where would you go or whatever it is. We need to think about conversation. And there's a fantastic book um, by an author named Sam Chan. He's a a Chinese Australian. It's so fun watching him talk because it's just confusing because he's very Chinese looking and very Australian in his accent. But uh, he has this great book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And he highlights this conversational aspect of, um, of evangelism by outlining the three layers of conversation. And maybe you're familiar with this conceptually. The first layer is the layer of interest. Uh, so this is like the awkward after church. Remember the like church shake and greet moments? We'd say everyone stand up and greet someone that's new to you. You guys remember this? Who loves that, right? Like, it's like the best part of church. I was talking uh, to my wife, I think, about this last week. And she's like, well, we got to bring it back. I was like, yeah, after COVID, right? We'll bring back the shake and greet. This is where we have, like, level one conversations. We talk about the Oilers. We talk about the weather. We talk about things that interest us. The second layer, though, is the layer of values. So this is the idea of good versus bad. It's how you might vote politically or, or your political views. How you spend your time or your money or what community you choose to live in or what school you might choose to go to. All of these are reflections of your values. And then deeper than this is the third level of conversation, which is about worldview. And here in this layer of worldview are questions about if you died tomorrow, you know, where would you end up? 
questions around worldview are about this, this idea of um, good, of, um, sorry, the meaning of it all. Does God exist? Are you accountable to that God? Life and death types of questions. How do you, what, you know, what is kind of the operating system of your life? That's kind of where this worldview piece are. And Sam Chan identifies that when you walk up to someone and you say, hey, if you died tonight, you know, where would you end up? He's like, you're entering into a relationship with someone on a third level conversation. He's like, this is why people don't like that. It's uncomfortable. It's like, whoa, like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? But rather, he encourages us to develop relationships as normal people do, um, kind of on this ground level of interests. We get to know people. We show genuine interest in them, love for them, care for them. And what do we do? We go back to our keys of sharing Jesus. First, we pray. We start praying for that person as we're having these conversations. Secondly, we watch how we live around them. Uh, We're we're considerate of our our life with Christ being something that they can actually see. Um, And then we move into this conversation piece. We have the interest conversations. And Sam Chan encourages us that we can move from our interest conversations to values conversations by asking why. We ask why. So if someone's, you know, sharing their interests, let's say they, they love going on vacation. Then they always talk about that, that lake property that they have and how much they want to be there, how much they love being there. You know, we move into a value conversation by being like, hey, well, why do you love going to the lake? <laughs> what is it about that vacation? Like, like, like you always talk about this. You just, you seem to love your vacation times. Why is that? And this person might go from talking just about the interest of vacation to start sharing about, man, you know, in my job, it's just crazy. We're always just running hard. There's all these deadlines. There's all these things. I'm always stressed. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling busy and tired all the time. I just, I need my vacation time. It's like, okay, great. And then as that relationship continues to develop, as this person sees genuine care, care and love for them, you move from a values conversation to a worldview conversation by asking permission. And it's the simplicity of, hey, I, I, you're sharing with me about all, of, all this stuff with work, and can I just ask you a question? Can I ask you a question about that? And most people are very unarmed when you say something like, can I just ask you a question on that? And you might say something like, hey, do you think humans were made to work the way that you work? Do you think that that's like how we were supposed to function in this like frantic, busy chaos? And you, you start have a conversation about that worldview, about created purpose, about vocation. You ask a question like, do you think it is possible to find rest outside of vacation? And perhaps in, their, in this little conversation about vacation, you might move to talk to them about the rest and the peace and the life you have with Jesus that, that doesn't seem to depend on circumstances. A rest that you have in Christ that is free from the burden and the anxiety and all this that's going on with work or whatever it is. And this isn't to say vacations are bad. It's not to say any of that's bad. But it's just using conversation as a way to move with people into these deeper conversations where you can start talking to them about Jesus. But here's the key, friends. Having good conversations means that we genuinely care and we sincerely listen to what they're saying. My wife, Jolene, had an experience in in Three Hills when we were living there. And one day there's a knock on the door and a guy is standing there and he begins to, you know, share the gospel with Jolene. And I can't remember if he just went on and on that she couldn't get a word in or he took a break in his kind of discourse or whatever it was. 
But eventually he stopped long enough for her to inform this man that, hey, me and my husband are Christians. In fact, uh, we, we go to church in Troshu, and my husband is studying down the road at the Bible college to be a pastor. So, you know, we're Christians, you know. And Jeline says that it was like he didn't hear a word she said. And he just kept going. He did not show her any genuine care. He did not show her in any way that he was listening. He just wanted to get his message out. And when we think about evangelism that way, it it makes so much sense why people are turned off to it. In my last message, I started off by talking about a friend um, who I framed with in Calgary. And um, I didn't share the ending of that story. But uh, the story starts with me and this guy from work. We're up on a roof building a house. And, and just we've been working together for a while. And he starts to ask me questions about faith. And essentially asks me, what's the Christian life all about? So we had moved from an interest type of conversation now into a values and now a worldview conversation. Well, Evan and I went on to have coffee every week together that summer. And we went through the Gospel of John together. Uh, and Evan went, eventually gave his life to Jesus. And I love how he said it. He said, you know, I, I want to live my life surrendered to the Spirit of God. I didn't give him that language. And it was just through these times together, through these opportunities of opening the Word of God, but it was, it was me taking the time with him, showing genuine care, praying for him, going through the Scriptures with him, that the Holy Spirit did a work on his heart. And as we have these conversations, they need to be seasoned with salt. In the ancient world, salt had two jobs. The first was that of preser- preservation. This is that we need to speak truth. We need to defend truth and continually work to keep our conversations and our words free from corruption. It's okay for us to open our mouth and challenge worldview and challenge what people are saying. But we also recognize that salt adds flavor. Our speech should be lively, colorful, and interesting. You know, yesterday I was making pasta sauce. I always start off with this vegetable base and I, I take salt and I throw salt on the vegetables and I pull out all the flavors. And in the way that a good meal is thoughtfully prepared for guests in our home, so our sharing of our faith should be thoughtfully prepared for those who have op- we have opportunity to share it with. Again, showing them and demonstrating the beauty in it all. Paul goes on that we need to flavor our speech with salt so that we will know how we, are ought, how we ought to answer each person. Friends, this text for us this morning implies that as we are speaking about our faith, that we are articulate, that we understand the gospel of Christ, that we're able to share it with others. We're able to communicate the truth of God's words with other people. Many of you are perhaps sitting here wondering what I'm going to reference First Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to the right, just a couple of cha- uh, books, uh, to First Peter. And First Peter is, very, is a parallel text. He's saying exactly what Paul is saying, uh, starting in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Add a little bit of salt. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What Peter is getting at, what Paul is getting at, is that the way we live our lives will cause people to look at us and ask the question, 
Say, hey, I see something beautiful in your life. I want that too. Can you tell me about that? And the expectation here in Colossians as well as in 1 Peter is that we would be able to answer them. For some of us, our practice of sharing Jesus means that we need to get in God's word and come to understand more the truth of God's word so that we are able to communicate God's word to other people. Answering requires us to be experiencing Jesus. And this is one of my hobby horses around the whole concept of evangelism uh, is that it's less, about use, it, it, it's less about just talking about biblical truth and doctrine. It's more about witness, which is telling people what God has done and what he is doing. It's about telling people how God um, has brought an experience of peace and belonging and purpose to your lives. It's about telling people about the ways that God is answering your prayers. It's about telling people about the ways you have witnessed miracles. And if we're not witnessing miracles and if we're not experiencing answers to prayer, friends, you are not praying enough. And if we are not experiencing peace or belonging or, or peace or belonging or purpose in Jesus Christ, friends, we, we need to sit with Jesus more to hear his voice, to have him invite us into those places because he wants to meet us there. He wants to give us that, that joy that peace, that hope, that love that we just celebrated at Christmas. And we experience it not just in our heads as some sort of theological truth, but as a lived out reality. And that is what people see. And as we live the gospel on display, we are declaring the gospel to people. So my question for you is, are you ready to answer? Are you ready to answer? In Peter's words, are you ready to make a defense for the hope you have within you? In Paul's words, may you know how you ought to answer each person when they ask you. Well, friends, my prayer for you this morning is that you would see a non-intimidating, less complex approach to sharing Jesus. That you would see prayer as the key to sharing Jesus. That you would consider how your actions are a part of you sharing Jesus. And that you would feel equipped in speaking the truth of Jesus to others. Through conversation and in response to questions that you might be asked. I just want to close with a story and transition us uh, into our time of, of remembering the Lord as we take communion. Um, I was listening to one of my dad's sermons this past week. And he told the story of a professor who was asked the question about kind of um, how have you found meaning in life? And uh, my dad didn't know if this professor was a Christian, but, but this professor grew up during the Second World War. And during the war, there was uh, some troops had come through their city, and there was a bit of a conflict. And um, the result of that is he found some mirror on the ground. And as a young boy, he picked up this mirror, and he began to craft and shape this mirror until it was about the size of a quarter. And I should have brought a quarter on stage. I don't have one with me. Um, but he had this little mirror, this little quarter, and he loved as a little boy running around and using the quarter to reflect the sunlight in different places. So he'd go into a tunnel or something and he'd try to reflect the sun and, or he'd go into his house and he'd find a space in a basement that was dark and he'd try to catch the sunlight out the window or he'd go into a closet and do the same and he loved reflecting the sun. And he said that as he grew up, he realized that this is maybe a good way to live my life. To be like this little mirror reflecting light into darkness. Friends, that is what we do as we share Jesus. 
That is what we do as we share Jesus. I'd invite the worship team to come up. This morning, we're going to be celebrating communion, which is us remembering that light. Remembering what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. In the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That, that is that light that has come into the world. And you and I have the opportunity to be like a little mirror reflecting that light in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities. As we run errands throughout the city, as we go out for dinner with our family, as we go to different, um, as we go to grocery store, whatever we're doing, we have this opportunity to reflect the light of Jesus into a dark world. So as we take communion this morning, I want us to reflect on what Paul has been talking about throughout, throughout Colossians, the mystery of Christ. Uh, this might be a good quote to write in your Bible, because um, Paul talks so much about the mystery of Christ, and N.T. Wright, I think, summarizes it so good in one of his commentaries. He says, the mystery of Christ is the secret plan of God for the salvation of the whole world. As this has now been made known in and, that should say and through, in and through Jesus Christ. God has made known to us his love, his compassion, his grace and mercy. His longing for us to belong to him through the person of Jesus Christ. This is the mystery because it does not make sense. Why would the creator of the universe care at all about us? It's a big question. Why does the creator of the universe want to be involved in our lives and, and, and ensure that we spend eternity with him? Well, he reveals to us this mystery in the person of Jesus who came and lived as one of us, who showed us a better way to live. So I invite you in this, uh, in this, during this song, as you hold those communion elements in your hand, to reflect on what God has done for you as well as reflecting on how you might shine the truth of what God has done to you, how you can reflect that light to other people. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I thank you for the section of Colossians which reminds us that life in you, having a life of looking unto you, putting to death sin, putting on Christ, living that out in the context of community and in our homes, Lord, that, that it doesn't end there. But you invite us to turn our attention to our neighbors, our community, our friends and coworkers, those who are far from you. And you invite us to pray. You invite us to consider how our actions speak to them. And you invite us to be ready to speak when the opportunity comes. And so, Lord, I pray for our church that we would be someone, uh, we would be a people who are growing in our ability to share you with others through our prayer, through our actions, and through our spoken word. And Lord, this morning as we remember your life and your death on the cross and your resurrection, Lord, may we remember this truth that we have. And in the way that we might be eager to share our wordle result with a friend, that good experience of finding that five-letter word, help us to similarly be excited and eager to share the hope that we have in you with others. So Lord, as we sit in this next song, as we pray, as we reflect on your gospel, Lord, we just thank you for who you are and all that you have done. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.